Good morning. Good to have you here this morning for our first nine o'clock service. We're so glad that you are here. We're glad you're joining us from your homes this morning as well. And maybe later on watching our podcast of this service. A couple things I want to share with you before we get into the message today. As we said, obviously we're now sort of split up into two separate groups at the Oasis, but we're going to really be intentional about offering our church family ways to come together and be together. So don't forget tonight at 6 o'clock is The Chosen right here in the auditorium. If you'd like to come and watch that great series on the life of Christ and on his disciples. There's pizza tonight uh, also being offered, so uh, that might also tip the scales for you. I don't know. Then Wednesday, 7 o'clock, our midweek service. Great worship in the Word. We started our series in Genesis on uh, Wednesday night, and we had a great turnout. So there's that opportunity as well. Then, don't forget, next Sunday, after both the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock services, I'll be meeting with those who want to be baptized, who are interested in baptism, and I'll be doing that next Sunday and also on the 26th if you can't be here next Sunday. That's also an opportunity on October the 30th when we have our baptism for any of you and all of you to come together and support those who are being baptized and be a part of that as well. And then one more thing, don't forget about our church picnic out at the Johnstons. Uh, we've got so many new people at the Oasis, and what a great way to get to know one another and to spend a day together in a beautiful location. The sign-up sheet is out there in the lobby. Uh, we would love to have you come and be a part of the church picnic. It is well worth the drive. It, it's, if you live in this area, it'll probably be about an hour drive one way, but I guarantee you this, it's between Superior and Globe, it is the most beautiful location imaginable. It is a great place for a church picnic. We appreciate Robert and Dana opening up their place to us every year to be able to do this, and we would love to have you come and join us. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning, beginning at verse 10, we're in the middle of a series on made to multiply, all about discipleship. Jesus told his followers Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the great commission, make disciples. In order for us as Christians and as a church to make disciples, we've got to become disciples. We cannot pass on to others what we are not ourselves. We cannot reproduce in others what has not been first produced in us. So we've got to sort of settle the question and make the commitment that we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ. That's who we're going to be. And then we're going to allow God to use our lives to impact and imprint and make a positive impression spiritually on other Christians. And throughout our Christian life, there will be a few relationships that we have with another Christian disciple that not only just mutually strengthens and benefits and blesses each of us, but then God can use that partnership to go way beyond us and bless so many other people. 
you see this illustrated by the relationship that Paul and Timothy had in their life. And that's why I chose the book of 2 Timothy to be sort of our basis for this study. We have learned throughout this study what discipleship is all about and how, you know, two people can come together going after and pursuing Jesus Christ and how they mutually can just strengthen each other. Again, that iron sharpening iron principle. Now today, if I had to title this passage, it would be Dare to be Different. Dare to be different. Disciples of Jesus Christ are going to be different, not just from the world, but even from many other Christians who profess faith in Christ. Because remember, all believers are not disciples. All disciples obviously have to start with belief in Jesus Christ, but not all believers are disciples. And it's even through daring to be different that many times God will bring two Christians together who can sort of encourage each other and comfort each other and, and help each other because they realize we're so different from so many others. And you see this with Paul and Timothy. It's like they, they give each other, you know, constant sort of encouragement that it, it's okay that we're different because at least we have the Lord and we have each other, and we might be walking out of step from others, but, but we have each other, and, and there's comfort and encouragement in that. The reason I say that is because I, I want to direct your attention to just a couple of words that you find throughout this last part of this book. After Paul talked about the spirit of the world that's going to exist in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 that we looked at last week, then look at the very first two words of verse 10. A very sharp contrast Paul is drawing here for Timothy. He says, you, however, have followed. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But the first two words, you, however, you're different, Timothy. You're not like the rest of the world. You operate differently, all right? Then if you uh, go down to verse 14 of chapter 3, same two words, you, however, different. Then if you even go into chapter 4, verse 5, a passage we'll be looking at next week, again, those same two words, you, however. He's saying, here's the way many others are operating, here's how they're living your life, their life, but you're going to be different, and it's okay to be different. Jesus Christ, while he was here on earth as the Son of God, walked out of step with the rest of the people around him. He walked out of step, though, not just with the world, not just with the Roman Empire and all those who were part of the Roman Empire and even the religious leaders of Israel. He even walked out of step with those who said they were following him which is why throughout the Gospels you even see where many of his disciples quit following him because they sort of got disillusioned with Jesus because Jesus wasn't being who they wanted him to be. He wasn't meeting their expectations, especially many of the Jews. They wanted this Jesus to come then and set up his kingdom then. 
He wanted, they wanted him to basically overthrow the Roman Empire and to, you know, set them free. And Jesus is like, that's not what I came here for this time. I will set up my kingdom one day. And I will have an earthly kingdom that will surpass all other earthly kingdoms because my kingdom's eternal. But that's not why I'm here now. I'm here to seek and to save those who are lost. I'm here to offer salvation. That's why I'm here. I'm here as the Lamb of God who is going to take away the sin of the world. That's why I'm here. And many of his disciples that were originally following, they didn't like that. And so even he was different. And he's trying to teach us, it's okay to be different. I know it's hard to maybe feel like you're all alone and you're walking alone and you're walking out of step, not only from the world, but even from other Christians or those who profess Christ. But, but God is saying to us through folks like Paul, it's okay because God's going to be with you and God will bring at least one or maybe a, a few other Christians into your life that you look at things the same way and, and you are living your life the same way and you can be in an encouragement and a comfort in a world you're out of step with. Today, I want us to examine nine words that describe four ways you and I as disciples are different. Nine words describing four different ways that you and I are different or could be different from others. The first word is found in chapter 3, verse 10, and it is the word followed. He says to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, as well as the persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, and in Lystra. You followed. The word followed means to always be by one's side, resulting in a familiarity that only comes through maintaining closeness for many years. Let me repeat that because I know that's a lot. The word followed means to always be by one's side, resulting in a familiarity that only comes through maintaining closeness for many years. The reason why that makes us different is just like with Jesus. Jesus said, follow me long enough to where I can make you fishers of men. Okay? And many Christians start following Jesus, but do not follow him long enough and sustain that following. Do not get familiar enough with him. Do not get close enough to him. And the same thing is true with relationships with each other. We live in a very superficial, surfacey world where most people don't even know how to navigate relationships at all with other human beings, and then especially to have a relationship where you get close enough and that you maintain that closeness with another human being for so long that you become so familiar with them that you know their mind, you know what's on their mind, you know what's on their heart, you know what's in their heart, 
You might even be able to finish their sentences for them and they for you. That you have that kind of familiarity with another Christian, you see. The only way Timothy could have this kind of familiarity with Paul was because he was by Paul's side from the time they got together. And he never left his side. It was, you found Paul, there was Timothy. You saw Timothy, there was Paul. And there were times where they were separate, but for the most part, they did it together. They did life together. They did ministry together. There was a familiarity. That's why God calls us to discipleship, first of all, with him, to follow him to where we, we get to know the heart of God and the mind of God, and we become more and more familiar with God, and we do so over the long haul, you see. That's different from most people today. Most people today don't have deep relationships with even somebody else to that extent. Or if they did, they did for a short season, but not over a long-term period, okay? So that's one word. Now, I want to share with you another word that goes along with this word that describes the first way of being different, and that's down in verse 14. You, however, must continue in the things you have learned, the word learned there. That goes along with the word followed, Again, remember, a disciple is literally a learner, one who is humble, one who is teachable, one who is willing to follow someone else, and especially as a disciple, first of all, to follow God. We live in a world where everybody wants to be in the lead. Everybody wants to be the leader. Everybody wants to be in control, and very few people are willing or wanting to follow. To be a disciple, that can't be the case. You and I have to love to be a good, faithful follower. In fact, in spiritual leadership, okay, from God's economy, you and I can't truly be a leader for God in God's kingdom until we learn to be a follower first. And we never give up being a follower. You see, to me, the best leaders are those who are always following. We're always following God first. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. Good leaders in the kingdom of Jesus are always going to be good followers. We learn to follow, and then by us learning and living a lifestyle of following the Lord and knowing then that the Lord's going to pull people into our life that he wants us to follow as well because he's going to work through them and our close relationship with them to speak into our lives and to, to do things into our lives to, to get us you know, further along the path spiritually that we've got to be willing to open ourselves up to that. We've got to be humble. We've got to be teachable. We've got to be willing to say, I'm going to follow you, Lord, as you use others in my life to help show me your way and your path. But that's different. Like I said, that's different in a couple different ways. One, relationally, we live in a world where most of the time people don't really know each other anymore. We might have lots of friends in our, you know, 
social media accounts. I've got 10,000 friends. Yeah, do they even know your eye color? Do they know what your favorite food is? Do they know what makes your heart beat? Do they know what you're passionate about? Do they, do they know what your favorite book of the Bible is? Do they know what they should be praying for in your life? Because do you have that kind of relationship with someone? You see. And then secondly, again, everybody wants to be in the lead. Nobody wants to be following anymore. And that's different when you and I have a heart that is humble, a heart that is teachable, a heart that's willing to follow. So the first two words that describe the first way that makes disciples different is the word followed and the word learn. But let's move on. There are now three words that will be part of the second way you and I as disciples are different from those around us, and it's found in verse 12 of 2 Timothy 3. Now, in fact, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The three words are who want to. Who want to. It, it speaks about a determination or resolve that is fueled by a persistent passion. So it doesn't, you know, it starts with passion and a persistent passion, not one that is short-lived. And that persistent passion then builds into my life a determination or resolve, a want to. I have a deep want to. And that's important. Because again, let's face it, not many people live their lives with that kind of a want to, whatever it's in regards to, much less honoring Jesus Christ, following Jesus Christ, being more like Jesus Christ, which is what he's saying there. I want to live godly in Christ Jesus. That's what I want. That's my persistent passion as a disciple. And I'm then going to be determined and have a strong resolve in my life that whatever I've got to do to be that, I'm going to do it. Regardless of the sacrifice, regardless of even the suffering or the pain that may come my way, which is why he even says, if you really want Jesus Christ and you want to pursue him above everything else, you're going to be persecuted. People are going to mock you. They're going to malign you. They're going to make fun of you. They might even bring suffering into your life because they're not going to like the fact that you're putting Jesus Christ above everything else or want to. And let's face it. Let's be real here this morning. We make time in our life as human beings for what we want to. I've heard Christians over the years of those who profess, I don't have time for this, I don't have time for that, and yet I, you know, I, I see the things that they do or what they share with me. They're here, they're there, they're at that thing, they're at this thing. No, no. We make time for what we really want to, right? So that's where it starts. What then is my want to? What do I want out of life more than anything else? See, Paul's saying to Timothy, you realize, Timothy, you and I, you know why we're different? Because our want to is Jesus. Jesus, pursuing him, being more like him, honoring him, that's our want to. And that drives our determination and resolve to live our lives the way that we do. 
But then there's another word that Paul uses here that goes along with those three words who want to, found down in verse 17, that the person dedicated to God may be capable, equipped for every good work. It's the word dedicated, devoted to God. See, again, that's, that's the difference between someone who says, I'm a Christian because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And can I say, that's great. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm glad that you know Jesus is your Savior. I'm glad your sins are forgiven. I'm glad you know where you're going to go when you exit earth. I'm glad you know all that. But that doesn't make you a disciple. A disciple is a dedicated, devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And not every believer, not every Christian is a disciple. You see, that's next level Christianity, if you will, being a disciple. And that's why Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. God's heart is not just that we get people saved. Yes, that's where it starts. But as I've said many times over the history of our church, salvation is not the end. It's just the beginning of a wonderful journey, lifetime journey, eternal journey with Jesus Christ. It's the start, not the finish. For many, it's like, oh, I got saved. Now that's it. Now I can live my life the way I want to. I've checked that box. I'm good. No. And what makes disciples different is not only that we're willing to follow and that we're willing to learn, but that our want to, above every other want to in my life, is to pursue Jesus Christ, and I'm dedicated and I'm devoted to God above everything else. That makes us different. Even, as I said, from other Christians, you see. But that's where Paul and Timothy could sort of take heart with each other. But then there's... Two other words that describe the third way of living life that makes us as disciples different. And I want to then direct your attention back up to verse 11. He's been talking to Timothy about, you know me so well. You know my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, all of these things. And you know even the persecutions, verse 11, and the sufferings that happened to me in these three different locations. And then notice he says, I endured these persecutions, and the Lord delivered me from them all. The word endured. Endured. It means to bear up what is placed on one's shoulders. There are going to be times where throughout our life, and especially as a Christian, and especially as a disciple of Jesus Christ, where there may be an extra weight that is placed upon our shoulders, something that God wants us to carry, maybe something that comes upon us because of our commitment to Jesus Christ that is placed upon us some extra heavy load. And the disciple will endure. And here's how the disciple endures, because that's important, because all the, many of us as Christians, we go through life and at times we have an extra heavy load, an unexpected weight that is placed upon us, maybe from our own choosing, maybe from somebody else's choosing. But we have that at times. How do I endure? How do I bear up? By allowing God to support us and shoulder that load and help us shoulder that load so that we can carry it 
you see. A couple of my favorite verses out of the Old Testament. The Lord is worthy of praise because day after day he carries our burdens. Psalm 68, verse 19. The Lord is worthy of praise because day after day he's willing to carry our burdens. And then Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast or throw your burden on the Lord, for he will sustain you. He will support you. He will strengthen you because he will never allow his people to be upended, meaning to never allow us to be weighted down to the point where we're crushed and can't get back up from the weight. God is willing to support his people. Now, notice. That, does, that means that there are times in our life where God will allow a weight to come into our life, but it's up to us to choose as disciples to say, God, help me carry that weight right now because I can't carry it on my own. We just sang about that. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. God, help me to carry that weight. And here's the thing. The supernatural almighty God will help us carry that weight. He will sustain us. He will support us to where we can bear up under that heavy load. Just like Paul. All the sufferings and persecution and things that Paul went through, and yet he endured. We don't live in a world of endurance anymore. We live in a world where when people start to feel the pressure and the weight, they're done. They give up. They don't know how to navigate. They go to self-destructive coping mechanisms, which we see. They take their own life. We are in the midst of a suicidal epidemic. I've done more funerals for suicide this year than I ever had in my previous 36 years of being a pastor. People don't know how to endure anymore. They're crumbling under the pressure of the world and, and what's going on in the world. They don't know how to handle it. Disciples of Jesus Christ, no matter what the weight is, no matter what the pressure is, will endure. And the reason we can endure is because we're letting God, the almighty God, the God who always loves us, shoulder that load with us and support us. In fact, I love this. The word delivered in verse 12 is a beautiful, or excuse me, at the end of verse 11, when, he, when Paul says, the Lord delivered me from them all, it literally means to draw to oneself. I love that. See, Paul said, here's how God delivered me. Not from taking the persecution away, not from taking the suffering or pain away, but that during that time, God literally drew me up into his arms and literally pulled me close. And that's how I got through because I felt the embrace of God, and, and I, I felt God drawing me close to him. That's how God gets us through, not by removing the obstacles or the challenges or the trials, but when they come to draw us up into himself. That's how we endure. And then notice the next word, verse 14, that goes along with the word endured is the word continue. You, however must continue, must 
persevere, must stay, abide, remain in the things that you have learned and are confident about. Continuing. So it's not just enduring what life brings. It's also persevering in the teachings of the word of God and not giving up on his word and not turning our back on his word as we're going to read about next week from chapter 4, how many will turn away their ears from hearing God's truth and just listen to fables and, and things that human beings just construct in their own minds instead of the reality, true reality, which is the word of God. No, it's, it's continuing. Continuing, persevering. The life of a disciple, just like the life of a Christian, is not a sprint. It is a long-distance marathon. And I know even in my life, family, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, I've known many people who got started really well. Man, they burst out. They got saved and they got on fire for the Lord, as we say. And man, they were on fire for the Lord, but they were also like a shooting star. It was quick and short. It was like they burned out within a couple years, and now you don't see them in church. They don't read the Word. They don't pray. They don't fellowship with other Christians. Continuing. See, we live in a world today where people can't sustain anything for a long period of time. They can't sustain relationships for a long period of time. They can't sustain anything for a long period of time. I think that's one of the reasons why I shared many weeks ago why God is leading us as a church and me as the pastor to teach on many of these books of the Bible that are large books that we're going to be in for half a year, maybe even a year, like Genesis, 50 chapters, 50 Wednesdays and why is God doing that? Is he trying to torture me? No. One of the things God is doing when he leads us into those long books is he wants us to learn to stay with something over a long period of time. You and I all know this to be true. It doesn't matter what church I've been in or what community of believers I've been in. Anytime a new series or a new Bible study or a new small group or anything like that gets started, you have the biggest turnout the first couple of weeks. And then what ends up happening? After about the third, fourth, fifth weekend, attendance starts to drop off. See? Why? Because we, even as Christians, have a hard time sticking with something over the long haul. We have a hard time remaining constant and remaining faithful and persevering over the long haul. We can do it short term because that's the world we live in. And then it's on to the next thing. You know, that, that's our world is, you know, I'm going to do this for a little while and then it's on to something else. They can't stick with it. They don't have the stick to That's what makes disciples so different is we're willing to just go, nope, here's where I'm at and I'm here. I'm good. I'm not going anywhere, you see? And, and, and that is a, that's going to make you and I different from so many other people. When you and I can endure and we can remain and we can persevere. Jesus even said these words to his disciples. He said, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. 
Oh, that's, that's strong. He says, if you abide, if you remain, if you stay with my word, then you're my disciple. He didn't say you weren't a believer. But again, there's a difference between a believer and a disciple. Disciples persevere in the word of God just like they endure the pain of life. One other word, our ninth word that describes the fourth way disciples are different. And that's found in verse 14. You, however, again, sharp contrast, must continue in the things you've learned and are confident about. That's the final word, confident. We live in a world of lack of confidence. And even Christians suffer from this. Not having the confidence, the, the boldness, if you will, to live life. This word speaks about assurance. It speaks about an assurance that is so strong that one is firm and one is settled. It leads to a personal stability. And again, we can see then how that's going to make us different from the rest of others around us because we live in a very unstable world. We live in a world where people are very unsettled, where they're not firm about anything. They don't really know what they believe confidently or not. In fact, you all have seen this this past couple of years. So many people, even Christians, looking around going, well, what do you think? And what do you think? And I don't know what to think, right? Not confident. We need to be confident. But that confidence doesn't come from within us. That confidence comes from us being a disciple and faithfully following God. That's where our firmness and our stability comes from, you see. It comes from the Lord so that we can be confident. Are you a confident believer? God wants you to be. And Paul's even saying, you know. And, and part of why Paul says you can be confident is you know who you learned your faith from. Back to chapter 1, you learned how to be a Christian from your grandmother and mother, Timothy. And then you learned how to further follow the Lord from me. You know us. You know our metal. You know what we're about. You, you're as close to us and we're as close to you as anything. You know who we are, right? But in an even greater way, our confidence, first and foremost, comes from that kind of familiarity we have with God. Let me share this with you. You can turn from 2 Timothy over to the book of Hebrews, and let me show you this biblical example. Hebrews is just a little ways over. Just go through Titus, and then that little one-chapter book of Philemon, and you're right into Hebrews, and go all the way to the last chapter of Hebrews, chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I want you to see this. Our assurance is based on God's assurance to us. Let me repeat that. Our assurance, our confidence, our boldness as disciples of Jesus Christ is based on God's assurance to us. And I'm going to show you an example of that. Down about towards the end of verse 5. 
of second, or excuse me, of Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, towards the end of verse 5, the author says, He, speaking of God, has said to us, I will never leave you and I will never abandon you. Okay, that's what God says. So then notice his next words in verse 6. So we can say with what? Confidence. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I'm not going to be fearful. I'm not going to live my life with fear. How can we be so confident? Because God assured me, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'll give you whatever you need. You don't need to be afraid of anything or any man or any person. And that assurance is based on God's assurance to me. If I truly get to know my God and I know his heart and I come to believe in him more than anything else, that whenever he tells me something, then I'm confident, I'm firm, I'm settled. I've got such stability in my life, not because of us, but because of what God has spoken to us and said to us. That's what we live on. That's why Jesus said in the Gospels, let me tell you, who, who my people are. They're not the people that they hear what I say, but they never really embrace it or take it in or believe it. They're like those who build their house on sand. And when the storms of life come, and they're going to come, the house collapses because it has no solid foundation. But then Jesus went on to say, but I'll tell you who I want my people to be. I want my people to be the kind of people that when I speak into their life, they not only embrace what I say, they build their life on it. They trust it completely. Those then are the people who build their life on a rock, their house on a rock. And when the storms come, the house still stands. Because it's not about the fact that there will be no storms. It's the fact that when the storms come, I'm firm and I'm settled because I've got a solid foundation. See, our assurance, our confidence is based on what God has said to us. That's how we can be so confident in the midst of a world that lacks confidence. They lack assurance. They lack being firmed and settled. They're like waves that are tossed back and forth, the Bible says. They're, they're like wind that is carried about with everything that comes down the pike. They're never settled, and there's no stability. It's what's the next thing? It's this flitting from this thing to that thing to this person to that person and never being settled. That stability and settledness comes, first of all, within. You and I have to be settled in here first. And when you and I are settled in here, then externally, then we'll project a confidence and settledness to others. But if you and I are all stirred up in here, then we're not going to project that confidence to others. So, real quickly, back to 2 Timothy. Nine words describing four ways that disciples are different, and Paul is saying to Timothy, you, however, dare to be different. Be a follower. Be a learner. Be those who want to 
Be godly more than anything else. Be those who are dedicated to God. Be those who endure and who continue, and be those who are confident. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, and I'm going to ask us to stand at this moment. This isn't necessarily a, a message for a particular invitation, but it is a message where I think God is just saying to all of us, again, do you want to be a disciple? <laughs> is that what you want more than anything else? And realize that as you and I get into being a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're going to walk out a step with a lot of people around us. We've got to come to grips with that and be okay with that. And the only way we can be okay with that is to be settled in God. And, and if we do need another human being to come alongside of us and, and be that Paul, Timothy, Barnabas type relationship where we can encourage each other as different as we are with others, that's okay. God understands that. And he'll bring someone into your life, you can have that kind of Paul and Timothy relationship, that kind of relationship that lasts over the long haul where you get so familiar with each other that you know each other's hearts and you know what's in each other's minds. But more than anything else, are we willing to dare to be different? That's by living in the sphere of Jesus Christ. I like to compare it to like, you know, the scuba is that special, you know, self-contained underwater breathing apparatus that you have to use to go to the depths. You, you can't breathe on your own underneath there, so you need that help. Well, guess what? God wants to take us to greater depths with him. The only way we can survive and maintain at those kind of depths as a disciple is by living in the sphere of Jesus Christ every day. And so that's why I want to end today on this song, In Christ alone. Let's pray. God, we thank you today that, Lord, you enable us to live at depths we could never live at on our own. I pray, God, that we would just lean into you as a church in these new days that you've got for us. We don't know how all this is going to fall out. We, we don't know what things we don't know yet and what tweaks and adjustments we're going to have to make as we get into this, God, but we know you do. And so we're just going to trust you every step of the way. And God, there may be people here today or people watching from their homes that they're going through something they've never went through before, God. And I just encourage them just to lean into you, God. Because when we live in, in the sphere of Jesus Christ, Lord, you'll help us no matter what it is. You've got all the answers. You've got all the strength we need. You've got all the encouragement we need, God. We just need to live within you. And so we acknowledge that and we declare that to you today, God, that we just want to live in Christ alone, knowing that everything that we need, everything we'll ever want, is found in Jesus. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.